wanted to uh, wish uh, two people a happy birthday today. Tim Wheaton, I know you're watching on live stream, so happy birthday to you, dear brother. Enjoy the day and enjoy the year. May God bless your year. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> Whew. And also, I want to wish uh, my grandson, Jack Sullivan Johnson, a happy birthday, which is tomorrow. Praise the Lord. Amen. Uh, okay, so we have a banner presentation right now. Uh, Malada will come and present that. Uh, for those watching by live stream, unfortunately, we have to mute the music because of copyright laws. Uh, you could check out the song later. We'll try to get the title of it. But uh, enjoy the presentation anyway. So uh, let's lend an eye, L- lend an ear up here as Malada comes to minister at this time. shadow you won't light up mountain you won't climb up coming after me no wall you won't kick down lie you won't tear down coming after me there's no shadow you won't light up mountain you won't climb up coming after me no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99, and I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it Still you give yourself away Oh, the overwhelming Never-ending Reckless love of God Thank you for your love Oh, what a Savior, isn't he wonderful? Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen, bow down before. Three. 
Thank you, Maleda. Praise the Lord. God is good. God is good. Banners of praise. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What a beautiful arrangement of songs and presentation. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Well, God is here in this place today. You know, times are different than they have been, you know, in the past, as far as numbers of people. But the presence of God is the same, if not stronger, during these times of worship. Uh, so, Malaita, thank you for that. That was wonderful. You blessed the Lord and you blessed us, and it, that's good. Wayne, we'll be praying for you tomorrow. I've been thinking about your situation. So, uh, church, remember to pray for Wayne tomorrow. What, what time are you going? Four o'clock. So we have all day to pray for you. So that's good. Uh, keep us posted on the outcome of that. Uh, Susie Figueroa here in the front row uh, has been traveling, going to some different ministries uh, in, in Georgia. And uh, she told me that she was baptized in the Holy Spirit Amen. with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, uncontrollably speaking in tongues, singing in different languages at the airport. Right. So if anyone questions if God is still doing that, yes, he is. He's still doing that. And uh, many of us here have had that experience as well. They're all unique with some similarities. But uh, praise God for that. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, I wanted to thank Esther for hosting the uh, missions Zoom meeting. um, And Edna for hosting the sisterhood meeting on Saturday. Uh, We'll continue with some of our Zoom meetings as we go forward. We'll do our best to notify everyone. I know last Thursday we had two things happening on the same night. But, uh, you know, those that could get involved got involved in either the prayer meeting or the, or the missions night. Uh, so anyway, we'll keep you posted on those meetings coming up. Anyway, take your Bible, if you would. I want to share a message this morning that I trust God will touch your, your heart in a powerful way. Uh, Luke chapter 7. Uh, this message <clears throat> was, uh, was birthed in fire. And, and, and brimstone, if you will. This, this was birthed in, in uh, it was birthed in anguish, I guess you could say. This message was birthed in anguish, if I could say it that way. Uh, without going into all the detail, I shared earlier that sometimes we, we get attacked spiritually, emotionally, whatever. Things happen, comes, come against us. And man, I'm telling you, it, it could get discouraging. You know what I'm saying? But as we persevere, as we just give God a chance, He's faithful all the time. And it's not always a picnic going through these trials. It's not. It's hard. And I would, I would say some, some Christian people really falter during those times. But if we could persevere when the chips are down, God will lift us up. I'm telling you the truth. God will take our experiences and turn it around for something powerful and something good. Anyway, I want to talk today, I want to continue on the theme of communing with the Lord, or communion with the Lord. We started uh, this month, the first Sunday of July, uh, talking about abiding in the vine, from John chapter 15. Uh, Last week, Pastor Bill shared a really really good message called uh, Found in the Wilderness, the story of Job. When uh, Job had everything taken away, if you remember the story, everything was devastated. And it says in Job 1.20, he arose... He tore his robe, and, he, and then he prostrated. He fell down before the Lord and began to worship God. Even in the midst of a valley, God was there to minister and to help. And the point that we're trying to make is whatever, if we're on the mountaintop or in the valley, it doesn't matter. We still need to commune with the Lord. 
And so today I want to continue with that theme, but I want to, I want to look at it from a different perspective. I want to look at it from Jesus' perspective. Like, what does he, what is his point of view? What is he looking for when we desire or we try to, to commune with him? And the passage we're looking at, uh, Luke 7, uh, these couple of verses, 37 to 39, are just a backdrop of the story. But it's the story of the sinful woman and a, and a Pharisee. And I think in this story, Jesus presents to us what he's looking for from his, from his point of view when his people come to worship him. Read just for right now, verses 37 to 39. We'll go down to verse 50 throughout the sermon. But verse 37, Behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were really a prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. Father, in the name of Jesus... Lord, right now, we want to stand against any power or principality of darkness, any evil spirit, any, any type of spiritual force that would want to bring discouragement or, or confusion. We rebuke that in the name of Jesus Christ right now. We pray, Lord, for clarity of mind, heart, soul, and spirit, that we could focus on what your word is saying today. Holy Spirit, come, teach us what we need to know. Lord, may you be glorified. May your people be built up and edified in the process. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen and amen. Well, let me begin by by saying to you that Christianity is God speaking to humanity. God looking for, seeking a people. It's God making the first move. Christianity is not man striving to find God. It's rather God striving to find a man or a woman. Many world religions will present a God that's far away, unreachable, uh, unattainable, and man striving to get close to this unseen God. Christianity is the opposite. It's God's effort to touch humanity. Christianity says we could never be good enough, smart enough, you know, well enough emotionally, spiritually, physically to have an audience with God. But because of what Jesus did on Calvary, when he shed his blood, the atonement, the cross, we now have access to the very presence of God. And for that, I say, hallelujah. And I want to jump up and down because without that, we'd be up the creek without a paddle, church. There'd be no way to have communion with God. He's made a way for us to have communion. Through his blood, we enter in to the Holy of Holies. I, I have a, a, a newfound, by the way, a newfound appreciation for K-Love. Anyone know K-Love? Man, I, I would listen to it every now and then, but I've been painting at the house the last couple of days, and I had K-Love on, like, all the time. And I, I was so blessed by hearing these Christian songs all, all day long and positive things being said. Every now and then the reception was poor, 
and the station would kind of go over to another station by itself. And all of a sudden, I'd hear this other music. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you the truth. It had a different spirit. Well, I don't even know what song it was. It had a different spirit to it. And then when it got back onto the Christian station, the spirit was light and airy and, and life-giving. And the other, the other station was like, it was like death, actually. But anyway, I, I heard a song that came on several times as I was listening it was written by Zach Williams and Dolly Parton. It's called Jesus Was There. And right in the middle of that song, Dolly Parton uh, sings the name of Jesus. And I'm t- if, you, if you could listen to it, uh, she sings the name of Jesus from way down inside of her belly. And so there was Jesus. And she goes off on this beautiful melody of Jesus in the background of the song. It touched my heart. When I heard it the first time, I said, i got to get to know who this is and what this song is. And when I really listened to it, the second verse caught my attention. It says this. For this man who needs amazing kind of grace, for forgiveness at a price I couldn't pay, I'm not perfect, so I thank God every day there was Jesus. Let me say it again. For this man who needs amazing kind of grace, for forgiveness at a price I could never pay, I'm not perfect, so I thank God every day there was Jesus. And there is Jesus that makes a way for us. And I, when I read the Bible, and I study the Bible, and I, I read from Genesis to Revelation about God's love for mankind... I see it in Genesis in the first couple of chapters, chapter 3 actually, after Adam and Eve had sinned, and they're hiding from God, they're covering themselves up with the fig leaves, and they're hiding from God. And in the cool of the day, the scripture says, the Lord came into the garden looking for Adam and Eve. Adam, where are you? That's the God that we serve. He's looking for our people. All the way back in Revelation chapter 3, when Jesus is addressing the church of Laodicea, and through the Holy Spirit addressing the church of today, he's saying, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone will... And he's speaking to the church. This blows me away. Can you imagine Jesus standing at the door of our church over there, knocking on the door, saying, I want to come into fellowship with you. But he says, If you open up the door of your heart, I'll come in and dine with you and have fellowship with you. Jesus is still constantly trying to get into our lives. That's the nature of the God that we serve. He's looking for a people. He's seeking a people. I love Luke 15 and, and the story of the prodigal son or the prodigal son's father. That graphic picture of the father really depicts the heart of God. He was waiting. He was looking. He was hoping for his son to come home. If any of you have children or grandchildren that are away from God, you know, you, you do the same thing. You're hoping. You're praying. You're just looking for that one inclination that your son or daughter is coming back into the fold. And when he saw his son afar off. Man, he runs to that boy. He hugs him. He kisses him. He gets gifts for them. He kills the fatted calf and he has a celebration. He has a party that his son came home. Come on, this is a beautiful story. A beautiful depiction of of God's love. And, And if that weren't enough, he then turns his attention to the other son. 
The, the other son who was passively brooding in the fields, working, not understanding why his father would have a celebration for this son who blew all the money. And he who was there the whole time, what about me? What about me? The father goes out over to him and says, come on, it's right that we celebrate your son, your brother. He was lost. Now he's found. He was dead. Now he's alive. Come, come be a part of this. You've always been with me. All that I have is yours. And he's pleading with the, with the other son to come, come, be a part of this. And so the Lord that we serve is, is always going that extra mile, seeking someone to restore, to refresh, to renew, to bless, to love, to father, if you will. Luke 19.10 summarizes what I'm trying to say. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Wow. Lord, thank you for seeking me and seeking us and finding us and saving us. So today I want to approach the, the topic of communing with the Lord uh, now that we're found, now that we're saved, now that we're redeemed, now that we're in a relationship with him. What does the Lord expect from us? What does communion look like from his side of the table? So the story of this sinful woman with the alabaster flask and this Pharisee, Pharisee whom we find out his name is Simon, this tells the story pretty much of what Jesus expects from people that follow him. So let me give you the background of the story. You may know it, but let me, let's just kind of walk through it if you want to follow along. Luke chapter 7, starting at verse number 36. So this Pharisee uh, asked Jesus to come to his house to eat with him. Well, that may not seem like a big deal, but that was a pretty big deal, actually. Pharisees and Jesus were always butting heads. You know, a few believed, Joseph and Nicodemus, we, we know that, but for the most part, the whole lot of them couldn't stand Jesus. So this Pharisee invites Jesus to come, and lo and behold, Jesus goes. So there's a lesson in that, too. You know, if you invite Jesus to come somewhere, he's probably going to show up. So he, he's there, and and, uh, and, and as was the custom of the time, when, a, when a, a person of means had a special affair like this was, the townspeople would be welcome to come and take some food from the table and lounge around and enjoy the company of the special guests. That, that's what was happening. So this woman, it says in verse number 37, what a description. A woman in the city who was a sinner. How would you like to be described as that? Even though we are. But we don't like to be described as that. Oh, here comes Rick the sinner, you know. Here, the guy from Haverhill, he's, he's the sinner. Yeah, well, that's true, but do you have to say it? But, well, they said it. He, Luke says it. She's a sinner. And, uh, and she knew that Jesus would, would be there uh, at the table in the Pharisee's house. So she comes to, to visit, and, and she comes with a gift uh, to give to the Lord. It's an alabaster flask with, with oil in it. And, uh, and uh, let's see... Uh, Verse number uh, 37, um, verse number 38, she, she, she comes in, and she sees Jesus there. And you have to kind of get this. You have to kind of get this in your mind. She's coming in kind of timidly, I think, and from behind she sees him, and all she can do is break down and cry. You ever been in a situation like that? All you can do is you're just falling apart. You're just, you're just kind of undone. you just kind of, oh, man. I don't know what to do. I just want to sit here and cry. And that, that's, she was like responding to Jesus' presence by weeping. And, and so 
She probably had a previous encounter with him somewhere. She probably heard him speak. or She, she was obviously touched by him before. She, she knew who he was, and, and she wanted to give something to him. So she comes, and, and she sees Jesus, and she's crying in verse 30. She's crying and weeping, and she's standing behind. And she cries so much. There's so much water coming out of her eyes. There's enough to wash his feet with her tears. And she dries his feet with her hair, so she's a mess. And she anoints his feet with the oil that's in the flask. And verse 39 is very interesting, because now the Pharisee is observing the whole deal. He's not saying anything, he's thinking to himself. And he says, you know, if this Jesus were really a a prophet like I've heard that he was, he would know what kind of woman this was, and he wouldn't let her be doing that to him because he would know what kind of woman she was. And so that's the background of the story. But can I tell you in verse 40, the other shoe drops really heavy. Jesus says to to him, he says, uh, Simon, now we know his name, his name is Simon, I've got something to say to you. I've got something to say to you, Simon. I wonder how he said it. Did he say it with, uh, you know, hey, Simon, uh, I know what you're thinking. See, we can never hide our thoughts from God. You know, he knows the thoughts and intents of our heart, doesn't he? This came up on Wednesday night at our Bible study, I think, as well. God always knows what we're thinking. So how can we try to hide when he knows what's going on? I was praying the other day, and I'm glad nobody was around to hear me. I just let it out. Man, I let it out. I spoke to Jesus like, I just let out my thoughts and my feelings. It was not not flowery. It was like, oh, God, can you help me? But he knows what I'm thinking anyway, so why try to hide it? So he reads his mail, and his response is, hey, uh, Simon, I've got something to say to you. And what he says is a parable, a two-verse parable. So he says, okay, Simon, listen to this. There's a banker, right, or a creditor, a banker. He lends money to two different people. Let's say one he gives $500 to, one he gives $50 to. And and he goes to collect the money from these two guys, these two uh, debtors. And and they say to him, we can't pay it back. And so out of the goodness of the man's heart, he says to both of them, well, I'll forgive you your debt. You know, just go your way. I'll, I'll take it. Don't worry about it. And Jesus says to Simon, which one of these people loved the most? And Simon says, well, the one who was forgiven of the highest debt. And Jesus says, absolutely correct. You're right. And then in the verse, verse number 44, Jesus then turns to the woman and speaks to Simon. I love this. This should be depicted in a movie or a picture. He's looking at the woman, but speaking to Simon. Simon, you see this woman over here? You see her? When I came to your house, you gave me no water for my feet. But she's been washing my feet with the tears from her eyes since I walked in the door. You see this, this woman over here? When I came in, you didn't greet me with a kiss. Everyone greets everybody with a kiss. That's what we do in this culture that we live in. That's what he's saying. Kiss here, kiss there. I greet you. It's respect. It's honor. It's, it's joy that I'm seeing you. It's camaraderie. You gave me no kiss. But this woman over here, 
She hasn't stopped kissing my feet. You didn't kiss my face. She's been kissing my feet. You gave me no oil for my head. I've been traveling to get here. She hasn't stopped putting this fragrant oil on my feet, washing my feet, anointing my feet with oil. Yeah, so this woman, although her sins are many, Jesus read his mail, boy, I'll tell you. If he were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman she was. He knew exactly what kind of woman she was, and he received it. Yeah, she's a sinner. She has many sins, but she's been forgiven of much. And it goes on in verse 49, everyone marveled that he would forgive sins. And in verse number 50, he says, you know, your faith has saved you. Go your way. Go in peace. What a beautiful story this is. And Jesus, in this story, I believe, tells us what he expects when his people want to commune with him. He waits for it. He waits all the time for it. And there's such a contrast between the Pharisee and the sinful woman. The Pharisee gave no water, no kiss, no oil. He, he was treated, he treated Jesus as just a regular person. He was kind of passive. He was kind of lackadaisical. He was treating Jesus like, like Jesus was just like him. And the woman recognizes Jesus as somebody really special. I, I, I have to be humble and reverent and holy when I approach this Jesus. I, I want to give him honor and praise and recognition for who he is. So I want to take the story and break it down to three areas and talk about three areas that I really believe, if we could think about it, we have to be a little bit creative to think about it, but I think the Lord is trying to tell us how we need to, how we need to approach God from his perspective. So the first thing is this. He wants our tears. About it, verse 38, verse 44. She's crying. You know, she, she comes in and she see, before then anything's even said, she's crying. I, I find this amazing. I find this dramatic. I find this like, oh, there's a pathos involved here. She walks in, and she starts to cry. But this depicts her brokenness, her dependence on Jesus. Whereas in verse 44, the man gave Jesus no water. She, her tears are reflective of how Jesus affected her. How Jesus spoke words of life to her before. How maybe he healed someone or touched someone. Or maybe he talked about eternal life. And something he did or said, she was affected. This was her response to Jesus. Oh, how we would do well. You know, Andre Crouch wrote a song many years ago. Take me back, O Lord. Take me back to the place when I first got saved. Let me have an appreciation, Lord, for how it was when I first got saved. When I would weep before you, I would rejoice before you. But Jesus waits for a response from us. Now, let me tell you this. Personally, I'm not one given to weeping. I'm not a weeper. Some pastors are weepers. I'm really not one of them. I, I mean, I cry. But um, I've known some pastors that would cry often. I'd always say, man, I wish I could do that. But I can't do that. I can't make it happen, you know. I want it to happen. I, I weep differently, I guess. But even privately, I, I, could, I weep, but 
even there, it's, you know. But see, tears represent a state of mind, a state of spiritual life. Tears represent us saying or feeling, Jesus, I love you so much. Jesus, I appreciate you. Jesus, I submit to you. I stand in awe of you. I'm humbled in your presence. I'm forever changed because of you. You touch the core of my soul. And and I weep before you. Now this is depicted in another uh, passage. Isaiah 6, uh, verses 1 through 5. I'll just tell you the story. Isaiah has a vision. And in in this vision, he sees the Lord... High and lifted up, the, the, the train of his robe fills the temple. The Lord, all his majesty. Angels are bowing down saying, holy, holy, holy. The place is shaken. There's smoke coming out of the house. And Isaiah's response is, woe is me. I am undone. For I'm a man of unclean lips living with unclean people. And this is what I'm saying. When the Lord, we, the Lord wants our tears, He wants our emotional reaction to who He is. And so we stand before the Lord in brokenness and in humility and, and, and weeping and crying out. And you know, Jesus desires that from us because it shows our dependency upon Him. Psalm 51 the great chapter, the great uh, psalm of repentance when David was uh, found out about his sin of adultery and murder. The first line of the psalm says, Oh God, have mercy. Can you see it? Oh God, have mercy. Bowing, weeping, broken before God. Verse 5, I've been con- I, I'm conceived in sin. I, I, I'm brought forth in iniquity. I'm involved with sinful people. Everything around me is sinful. Oh God, have mercy on me. In Hebrews 10.31, one of my favorite scriptures. It's an awesome thing. It's a fearful thing to come into the presence of a holy God. So how do we respond by coming into the presence of a holy God? I think we should feel like we're broken. We're undone before him. Psalm 34 says it like this, The Lord is near to those with a broken heart and, and saves those with a contrite spirit. Psalm 51.7 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. So Jesus is waiting as we commune with him. Instead of jumping right into the request, just be broken before God. We're saved by grace. We're kept by mercy. We're taught by the Holy Spirit. We're empowered by His Word. It's a humbling thing to know that God is everything to us. And that alone should give us, a, uh, give us pause to reflect and say, Oh God, I come before you broken and desperate for you. I'm weeping in my spirit. I may be weeping physically, but my heart is broken before you, Oh God. Because I need you. Without you, I, I can't even live. In you, we live and move and have our being, the scripture says. So it's humbling to get to this place. But, but the Lord is looking for us, for our tears, our brokenness before him. Our humility, our tears of joy, perhaps, or tears of awe. Just, just a reaction of who he is. 
We, we've gotten away from that part, you know. I can remember, you know, being in some services, like uh, pastor, pastor meetings in different uh, district events that Pamela and I would go to. And, and uh, there'd be such a strong move of God, man. There'd be people at the altars crying, you know, just boo-hooing before God. And no one's even preaching. It's just crying out to God. And, and so we're talking about communing with God. This is one aspect that Jesus is looking for. The Pharisee gave him nothing. There was no water for the feet. There were tears this woman gave. And think, think the, the Palestinian dusty roads and, and dirty feet and hot. And, and I, I come into a house. Everyone had water in the house for a visitor. He had no water for Jesus. No brokenness. No humility. No care. Whereas the woman, all she did is cry her eyes out. She gave her tears. So Jesus awaits our tears of humility and brokenness as we come into his presence. I never want to get too far from that, church. I don't know about you. I never want to get far from that. That's basic. And that's, that's humbling but that's where we're at. And as I said earlier, this message was birthed out of anguish in my heart. Sometimes it's just hard to hear the voice of God. And I, I felt like, okay, God, I was crying before God. Lord, it's, I got to preach. I got to say something. You know, I, I got... I gotta, I gotta live. I gotta, I gotta live for you. I gotta, I got a family to take care. Of. I got all these things going on. I got a church. I got this pandemic we're dealing with. I got racial injustice all over the place. Lord, I need you. I need something from you. Can't do this on my own. Can't. Can't do it. Oh God, I'm telling you, this is where it begins, church. This is where it begins. If we get away from that, we might as well hang it up. We've got to get broken, stay broken, be broken, be humble, and just come before God like this woman did. I love the picture. She comes into the house. Before a word is even said, she's crying her eyes out. I love that. Because she knows who he is. So we have to know who he is, right? We have to know who he is in spite of what's happening around us. As in the message last week, you know, Found in the wilderness, God speaks in the wilderness, abiding in the vine. We need to be in the vine and know who he is. And if trials come our way, we have to know and believe and trust the word of God that those things are happening for a reason. It's not all about the people involved in it. It's probably about me and you. You see what I'm saying? Like, what is this pandemic about? What is this all about? In a lot of ways, it's about the church. What are we going to do in the middle of all this? What are we going to do with all those uh, social injustice, racial tension going on? You know, I thought that all went out in the 60s. No way. It's, it's here. It's here. It's in the church even. What do we do? We need to be humble before God and cry out to God. Let me give you the second point here. The second point is Jesus waits for our kisses. He waits. The woman never stopped kissing his feet. And, 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 and the, the poor Simon the Pharisee, this, this man, as I, the more I look at it, he totally blew this visit with Jesus. There's no water for his feet. He doesn't even greet him with a kiss. 
Another scripture says, greet one another with a holy kiss. There's something reverent. There's something nice about welcoming, greeting each other. There was no camaraderie with him. But the woman, the sinful woman, with all the baggage, she comes in and she's kissing his feet the whole time. This is so humbling. But the kisses represent honor, represent praise, represent respect. And so verse 45, uh, Jesus comes in, the Pharisee gave him nothing. But she gave him affection and love, a display of appreciation, a display of emotion. And I really think for, for us today that the kisses pertains to our praise and our worship. That's how we kiss God. Let's kiss the Lord. Hallelujah. And I, when I read the, I read the Bible and, and I could find seven different ways. There might be more if you get into it a little bit. But there's basically seven different ways to kiss the Lord or to worship the Lord. And I want to just list them quickly. If you need the references, write them down or go to the website. You can check it out later. But Psalm 95, 6, let us worship and bow down. You know, bowing down is an act of kissing the Lord, just bowing down. It's a posture. It's a posture of humility and, and submission to the Lord, bowing down before the Lord. Second Chronicles 6.13, Solomon knelt down and prayed before all of Israel. Kneeling is a way to kiss the Lord. Nehemiah 8.6, after Ezra found the, the, the uh, law, read the law, and uh, read it out loud, all the people were shouting amen and amen. It says all the people worshiped with their faces to the ground, prostrate before the Lord with our face in the ground. It's another way to kiss the Lord. You know, sometimes we would see that, wouldn't we, in church? On a Sunday morning, someone would come up and just lay down flat. Some people say, what in the world is that guy doing? Well, he's laying prostrate before the Lord. That's what they did in the Old Testament. It's okay to do that, by the way. As long as you don't bring attention to yourself. But if you want to do that, you can do that. You can bow down. You could uh, kneel down. You could lay down, whatever. Psalm 134, verse 2, it says, uh, I will lift up my hands in the sanctuary. Right? Paul said, I, I, I desire that all men would lift up holy hands and pray. Can you, can you relate to this? When I first came to the Lord, I saw people lifting up their hands. I did not know what they were doing. After a while, I realized, well, they're worshiping the Lord, and I, I should probably do that. So I said, all right, I'm going to do that. And I got all ready to do that, and guess what? I couldn't do it. It was awkward. It was like someone had a straitjacket on me. And when I started doing it, I, I gave him one of these. So, hallelujah. 